I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. My name is Movie Mike. You may know me from listening to The Bobby Bones Show. And I love movies, so I started a podcast where that's all I do. I talk about movie topics. I bring on actors, directors. And on this episode, I want to talk about movie villains that deserve their own origin story. I want to talk about what I think are the top five video game movie adaptations. Hope you're subscribed. Thanks for listening every single Monday to the podcast. Without any further ado... Let's get started. In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast, one man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. All right, so maybe you saw the trailer that came out last week, but we finally saw what Emma Stone looks like in Cruella. If you haven't seen that trailer, here's just a little bit of it now. I guess they were always scared that I'd be a psycho. (laughs) The thing is, I was born crazy. Born bad. And a little bit mad. (laughs) I'm Cruella. No. So that got me thinking about what major movie villains deserve their own origin story. And I gotta say, I really never expected to want to watch a Cruella DeVille movie. I never really thought of her that much of a villain, really, to be honest, from the 101 Dalmatians movies, the 100 Dalmatians movies. She just never really, in my eyes, was someone that deserved their own origin story. But after watching this trailer, I was like, Emma Stone really went there. She looks really dark and kind of twisted. And it has me kind of interested in learning about her story. It was almost reminiscent of when I saw the Joker trailer first come out. Like, you didn't really realize the kind of mental trauma this character went through. And I think that this movie will really kind of dive into that a little bit and kind of unravel a story that we didn't really know. We just kind of knew Cruella DeVille as the evil person in the movie. But I just wanted to know... 
what other movies you think would make a good villain origin story. So at the top of my list, I think one that has really no question that, and I don't know why they missed out on making this movie, but, and I know Marvel in their whole kind of scheme of putting out movies right now, they don't make villain origin stories. Really the only place you can go them is on the other side of getting like the Venom origin stories. But Thanos is the greatest Marvel villain that's ever been because when you think about Marvel movies, a lot of the issues they had before was they didn't have any great villains. You would go watch an Iron Man. You'd go watch a Captain America. And by the end of the movie, the next time you go see the next one, you forget who the villain was in the one before. They just didn't really have longevity in villains until they got to Thanos to where they created somebody that you wanted to hate. Like you wanted to see him get taken down by the Avengers, but they were never able to do it. And I think that's why Thanos was just such a great villain because... He, at the time in the movie, seemed unstoppable. And there's just so much to be told about Thanos that you don't really know because he was just alluded to so long in the Marvel Universe. You know, they would reference Thanos in, like, the end scenes. They would just kind of make allusions to the whole, how this whole Marvel Universe was going to come to an end. But once he's around, you don't really get the backstory of why he is the way he is and how he rose to power. I think that would be an intense Marvel movie because I think even a point could be made that maybe sometimes Thanos couldn't be viewed as the bad guy. If you made a solo Thanos movie, you could almost build it around him having more of a reason why he's doing the things he's doing. Like maybe he really thought he was going to try and save the world. So Would love to see Josh Brolin come back as Thanos and do a prequel origin story to Thanos. Let's talk about Voldemort now. Whether you think he's a great villain or not. I think, honestly, he probably should have just killed Harry Potter and been done with it. But I guess if you do that, you lose out on the entire story of Harry Potter. But nonetheless, he's a very famous villain. And I think in the world of Harry Potter, they're trying to do other movies like the Fantastic Beasts within the world of Harry Potter without doing a reboot or without doing kind of anything with the original characters. But I think where they're missing out here is doing a Voldemort origin story. All the things that led him rising to power and ultimately trying to kill Harry Potter, I think there's an entire movie right there. All right, I want to talk about another superhero villain I think needs an origin story. And Batman Returns had Danny DeVito as the Penguin, who I felt did such a great job as the Penguin. And it was such a unique performance that I feel they haven't really done the Penguin justice since. And, you know, they've done so many Joker movies. They've done Catwoman all the time. Made a terrible movie with Halle Berry, yet we can't get a Penguin origin story. I would almost just want... Danny DeVito to come back and do it now. You know they have that technology down to where they can de-age people. The same effect they used on the Irishmen to make them all look younger. Why not use that on Danny DeVito to have him come back as the Penguin? Because when you think about the story they told in Batman Returns about Oswald Cobblepot, he has a dark backstory. He was a psychopathic, deformed man born and abandoned by his parents when he was a baby. Like that opening scene... In Batman Returns, when you first learn about the Penguin, it's a really sad story. Like, that's an awful origin story for any kind of supervillain to be abandoned by your parents because you're basically born with this deformity that causes you to be what people call a penguin. And if you give the Penguin the same treatment that you gave Joaquin Phoenix and Joker, I think you could have a really dark story here 
Because it kind of goes a step further of not just having that kind of mental illness and that kind of sinister energy in your mind, but it also has the physical capabilities of the person and that effect that it has on you wanting to snap and become a supervillain. So why haven't they made this movie yet? I'm serious. Why haven't they made this movie yet? Somebody give me $50 million and I'll go out and find Danny DeVito and make this movie. All right. And if you listen to last week's episode, I was talking about dark Disney theories and there was one about Scar and he supposedly in the movie ate Mufasa after he killed him, which I went on a whole thing of why I love Scar, why I think he's a great villain. And I know they're doing Cruella DeVille, which is a Disney movie. Why not go back and do a Scar origin story? Because in The Lion King, he's really just viewed as the outcast even when Simba first goes to Scar he's like yeah whatever my dad's king and you're just scum like that would really make me feel pretty bad if I had my nephew coming up to me and knowing that he's going to be king someday and there's something already in Scar's mind at that point of him plotting to kill Mufasa and then find a way to get rid of Simba and you want to know what got him to there what made him be an outcast And I've been thinking about Disney a lot because I really haven't been a fan of the new so-called live action remakes. I think they're okay. But again, I was born in the 90s, grew up in the 90s, and there's something about the original animated movies I just feel have a lot more charm to them. And that's probably because I grew up with them, of course. I'm going to feel that way about the things I remember when I was a kid. And if they're going to do all these remakes with the intention of having people kind of watch them at a nostalgia and also share them with their kids now to kind of expose them to these stories that they don't know about. Why not go back and kind of go old school again and do that original kind of animation? Just a thought and go back and do an origin story in the original kind of animation you did with the first Lion King, the one everybody loved, and do an origin story about Scar. Now, I know they did a bunch of sequels, To The Lion King, they did the one and a half and two that went straight to VHS. But, I mean, they have Disney Plus now. They have the space to where they could put something out on like this. And, you know, it's not going to theaters to that capacity. But, hey, maybe give us a Scar origin story for Disney Plus. This one I was thinking about, and I love the movie Mean Girls. Somehow it's a movie that I've seen many, many times. And I really can't remember the first time I sat down and watched it. But I think it's a movie we've all seen at some point, at least on TV. But Regina George, that's right, Regina George from Mean Girls, we need an origin story about her rise to the head of the plastics. How did she form the plastics? What went on at that high school before Lindsay Lohan showed up? And I know they're trying to reboot Mean Girls in some way. I know at least Lindsay Lohan wants it to happen. I don't think it will really work with her coming back and doing anything. Get rid of Lindsay Lohan. Focus on Regina George and make an origin story of her rise before Lindsay Lohan's character ever gets to the school. Maybe you lead up right to that point. Don't even mention the whole thing with Lindsay Lohan, and then it's her afterwards. I think she's a great villain. Now, staying in the comedy space, there's a movie called Home Alone. (laughs) You got Harry and Marv as the Wet Bandits, later dubbed the Sticky Bandits. How about an origin story about them? Because obviously these guys had a pretty twisted past, To get to a point to where they're scoping out rich people's houses and are okay with invading a house where a little boy is living. Like there has to be something else going on in their lives to get them to that point to where they're essentially going to kill this kid. I know it's never stated in Home Alone, 
But the whole story is basically them going to the McAllister's house when they're out of town. They find a kid, and by the end of the movie, they are ready to murder this kid just because he threw some paint buckets at their head. I want to know, what did they do before they got to the Kevin McAllister house? Because you know when they end up getting arrested, the cops are able to identify all the houses they've been in because of all the sinks they left running to leave their mark. I want to know how they got to this point, the story of Harry and Marv. I think that would be interesting. Along those same lines, I really love the original Ninja Turtles movie. And the first one was so much better than all the other ones because it was a lot darker. And they made this movie based on a comic book and it was supposed to be for kids but you have these ninja turtles fighting with real on full weapons and the whole kind of tone of that first movie is really kind of dark and angry like Raphael has this kind of built up anger that it didn't really feel like a kids movie and i think a lot of it has to do with you know the whole battle with shredder and i think shredder is a great villain whether it be in the movies or the cartoon he's just very intense but you don't know a whole lot about them. And they've remade a lot of the Ninja Turtles movies. I've still watched the reboots, even though I'm not a fan of the CGI. I think it's a little too much for me. It takes away the charm of the Ninja Turtles. I know I keep complaining about this, and this is kind of me realizing more and more that I am getting older as I'm about to turn 30, that I like the way things were when I was a kid. And I get that a kid now probably loves these new Ninja Turtles, because they are huge and kind of funny still, but are more like superheroes than they were those original kind of charismatic Ninja Turtles. And the last one didn't do so great at the box office, so I think the next step here is to make an origin story about Shredder. Make it that dark tone. I think everybody's kind of going for that grittier remake. You can see it in the Cruella de Vil origin story that's getting made. That's kind of what you're going for. I think Shredder lends himself as a perfect specimen for that kind of formula. So, a Shredder origin story is another one I'm putting on the list. One more villain on my list is also from one of my favorite movies of all time, and it's No Country for Old Men, and Anton Sugar in that movie is so sinister, and you really just kind of fall into his story at just some odd point in his life. You don't know a whole lot about his character, and that's what makes that movie so kind of mysterious and so kind of captivating to watch because you kind of just get thrown into it just like the cops do in the movie trying to figure out this guy. And he is such a force that he almost seems like he's not human in the movie. He's almost like a Michael Myers type figure to where nothing can take him down and nothing affects him. He has an emotionless face throughout the entire movie as he's killing all these people. And he does it so effortlessly that you know this guy has a really sick, dark, and twisted past. And I want to know where he got the idea for that haircut. I also put this question out on my Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook page. Here are some of my favorite responses from you guys. Nikita Carmen actually hit a reply and she said, The little old lady in the Goonies, that one made me laugh. Like, I was waiting for a Goonies reboot. I think there needs to be a Goonies too. It's been a while. They're remaking stuff left and right. Why not make a Goonies reboot? But if we're going for a, an origin story, hey, why not the little old lady from the Goonies? A lot of you guys also said Loki would be a really great origin story. And he's actually going to have an entire show on Disney+. Plus. So I think there's something coming in the world of Loki. I think it's kind of him post-Avengers. So he almost made my list. But I'm waiting to see what that show is all about. 
Because I agree, Loki is a great villain. Before Thanos really came to be in the Marvel movies, he really kind of carried that torch of being the best villain, but he kind of goes back and forth whether he's good or he's bad. So I almost had him on my list as well. Another one I saw submitted a lot was Bane. And I loved the way Tom Hardy did Bane. And at the time when I watched that movie, I felt like Bane was almost a more hardcore villain than Joker was in The Dark Knight. Now, I feel a little bit differently about it now, but there was something about Bane. Now, the difference between him and the Joker is the Joker was just messing things up and terrorizing Batman because it was enjoyable for him. He really had no plan. His plan was just to cause anarchy and destruction. That was really Joker's whole thing and getting underneath Batman's skin. He didn't really care whether he made money or anything. He just wanted to, like to say in the movie, watch the world burn. Bane, on the other hand, was really trying to take down Batman and ultimately leave him for dead. And in The Dark Knight Rises, you really get this kind of, in the same feeling that you felt like Thanos couldn't be stopped, you thought that Bane was going to just take out Batman. And my real complaint with that movie was at the end that Bane just isn't an issue anymore. Like somehow he just like goes soft and doesn't really fight anymore and he's just kind of out of it so that was really my issue with Bane of not being the best villain because at the end he kind of just fizzled out and suddenly a non-factor he turns into like a cat chasing yarn and then finally the last one I think that I got the most out of everyone was Ursula from The Little Mermaid now this one actually is currently being remade into a live action movie and Melissa McCarthy is playing Ursula, which I think is a great casting choice. Again, you already know how I feel about the Disney remakes, but I do love Melissa McCarthy as Ursula. If that movie does well, I could see it happening. If they're making the Cruella movie, why not go on a step further and do the Ursula movie with Melissa McCarthy? But again, I'm going to wait to see how they do that movie. All right, so that's the list coming up next. We'll talk about the new Mortal Kombat trailer that came out last week, and I'll give my top five video game adaptations of all time after this. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I've never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics. 
as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to start off first by reading this email from Jason. You can always send me an email. It's moviemikeD at gmail.com. And Jason writes, hey, Mike, big fan of the podcast. With the reveal of the photos from the new Mortal Kombat movie, I would love to hear your opinion on the best to worst video game adaptations. Thank you for your time, Jason. And I was holding on to this email for a minute because I really can't base a whole lot on the first images that come out after a movie. Like, it's just too soon to see what it's going to look like. But really, you're just seeing the first poster and it has no indication of whether the movie is going to be good or not. So I wanted to wait till the trailer came out. The trailer came out last week. If you missed that, here's just a little bit of that trailer. These are your champions. I'm Sonya. That's Kano. I'm Liu Kang. Name's Jax. Kung Lao. Lord Raiden. The fate of Earth is in our hands. All right, so after watching this trailer, I thought, this actually looks like it has some potential. Now, the first one has... A bit of a cheesiness element to it and it's to be expected it's a video game adaptation there's always just a little element of cheesy when you're trying to do a video game to movie because you want to incorporate things that the video game did and that are recognizable for people who played the video game and now want to go see that movie so it's always just a little bit cheesy to incorporate those things and with a movie like Mortal Kombat the first one kind of tried to be a little bit more dramatic and just a straight-on action fighting movie and it still came off a little bit cheesy with the costumes and the fighting and the overall CGI quality of that. Now, looking back and watching that movie, it looks very 90s, but it has a charm to it. And what they tried to do with this new reboot, they kind of wanted to work that nostalgia back into people who remembered the video game from back in the day. But also give it the R-rated treatment to where I think this movie really is going to shine. Like, I think the only way it really has of working is incorporating that. And you kind of get that feel for it in this trailer with the very R-rated fatalities. So you get the blood, you get the guts, like full on like it was in the video game. And it's to an extent to where it's very cheesy. There's a point where Sub-Zero freezes a guy's blood and then stabs him with it. Yes, he freezes some guy's blood and then impales his body with that frozen blood. So that's what you're going to get from a Mortal Kombat movie. 
And that's essentially what you want from a video game movie. So I put together my top five video game adaptations, starting with number five, Tomb Raider, the original one with Angelina Jolie. Tomb Raider was a great video game. And what I loved about Tomb Raider is I felt like Angelina Jolie was the perfect match for that. At that time, she was still the biggest Hollywood actress, and she looked like Laura Croft. And again, you're not going to make the best movie from a video game adaptation like that, but I think that one's pretty solid at number five. At number four, I would put Super Mario Brothers. Now, this isn't really viewed in any way of being a great movie. And to be honest, it's kind of an awful movie. It's so bad that it's good, though. So that's why I put it on this list, because it's nothing like you wanted it to be, because Super Mario Brothers is quite arguably the most recognizable video game of all time. Like, everybody knows Super Mario. And when I wanted to watch this movie as a kid, I wanted to see the big colorful things. I wanted to see the Goombas like they are in the video game. I wanted to see an animated Yoshi. And I got none of that. I got a story uh, basically about two plumbers that get trapped into this weird underground rave. Like, that is what the Super Mario Brothers movie is. But it's so bad and so just kind of ridiculous and makes no sense. The movie was entirely rushed. There's a whole disaster story how this movie got made. John Leguizamo was on set, like, didn't want to do it. He's like, they fired directors. There was just so much drama with this movie getting made. But it was just such a big anticipated movie that it had to come out. And what we got is not what we wanted. But looking back and remembering watching that movie as a kid now... It's still a movie I love, so I will put that one at number four. At number three, I'm putting the movie that came out last year, which is what I say the front runner to win Best Picture at the Oscars, Sonic the Hedgehog. And it took me a while to warm up that I actually enjoy this movie when I went to go see it in theaters because I think I was overly critical because I love Sonic the Hedgehog as a kid. And having a friend in the trailer park with a Sega Genesis was the ultimate thing as a kid because I didn't own one, but when I did, I wanted to go over and play Sonic the Hedgehog. And what this movie actually did was incorporate all the things from the video game that we loved, like the running around, the gathering rings, the Dr. Robotnik played by Jim Carrey, like all of that cartoony sense from the video game was in this movie. And not only that, you get a little bit emotional attachment to Sonic kind of being this alien creature that's just trying to make friends and be understood. So you have that kind of emotional story too on top of the video game action. So as crazy to say that Sonic the Hedgehog was actually a really good just overall movie, I had to put it as number three. At number two, I'm going with the one I was talking about earlier, Mortal Kombat. And I think why I love this one so much is because they did a great job at taking the way the characters looked in the video game and making them look just like that in the movie. Like I want Sub-Zero to be wearing the blue suit, I want Scorpion to be wearing the orange or dark yellow, whatever that is. And again, it's an awfully cheesy movie too, but the first one you really can't mess with. Now if you want to talk about Annihilation, that one was terrible. But I think even now, if you went back and watched the original Mortal Kombat, you'd still be pleasantly surprised. It's actually a pretty good movie. And at number one, I am putting Pokemon, the first movie, Mewtwo Strikes Back. Now, I was a huge fan of Pokemon. Like, I think 
every kid who grew up in the early 2000s was. I collected all the cards, I played all the Game Boy games, I played the N64 games, and when this movie came out in 1998, I think it's the most ecstatic I've ever been to go to a movie theater. And the great thing about Pokemon is they do such a great job at promoting the show and the movies, everything they do. It's just so well promoted. You see it now happening at McDonald's with adults going to McDonald's to buy Happy Meals to get these Pokemon cards. And even the most recent Pokemon movie I went to watch in theaters, Detective Pikachu, they gave you a Pokemon card when you went and picked up your ticket. And the feeling I had going into watching this Pokemon movie was unmet in anything I've gone to watch. I was probably seven years old at the time it came out. And I didn't go to a whole lot of movies as a kid, but this was one I had to see in theaters. And I didn't get to see it like the first couple weeks. Maybe it was like three weeks out that had already been in theaters. And I know initially they gave out Pokemon cards. And I remember there was a kid in school who had one. And I was like, man, if only I could have gone on opening night. But from watching the TV show to watching this movie, this is kind of where my love of movies started to come from because it was characters I was already invested in and seeing them in a long form movie and having a story play out on the big screen was amazing and arguably one of the most (laughs) and i'm thinking about this now of how emotional i got watching this movie in theaters there's an epic battle scene at the end where pikachu almost dies but in turn ash ketchum his trainer puts up his life to protect pikachu and it's an amazing story about how much Ash loved his Pokemon. I'm getting emotional now as I talk about it. But I think it's the greatest video game adaptation because it's exactly what it was like playing the Game Boy game, playing the N64 games. It's exactly what you got in the TV show, but seen on the big screen. So they not only had people coming to them from playing the video games, but also playing the card game. So there's just so much into what makes a Pokemon movie great. And out of all these video games, it's easily what I played the most. Like the only thing I owned really was a Game Boy and I could play this game for hours. And in case you're wondering, cause I know you were, the Pokemon I always picked first was Charmander. He was my favorite to play in the video game. As far as worst video game adaptations, I'd say number one would have to go to Street Fighter because such an amazing game that we all remember playing in an arcade and such a terrible movie adaptation. They were basically trying to make Mortal Kombat but had none of the style and none of the acting abilities to pull it off. I would also have to go with Max Payne which was a great game on PlayStation and the movie really had nothing to do with the game. They basically just took the Max Payne name and got people excited about that but was nothing like the video game along those same lines you have hitman doom rampage and assassin's creed which i think all of those movies they really just use the name of the video game to really just get people like okay i love the video game maybe i'll love the movie but there has to be a little bit something more than that or you just have to be like super mario brothers and make a ridiculous movie that's so bad it's good but that's what i think about movie video games How about we get into another spoiler-free movie review talking about Nomadland, which is available now on Hulu or in theaters, if those are a thing where you are right now. It stars Frances McDormand, who you may remember for three billboards out of Ebbing, Missouri. Before we get into the review, here's just a little bit of the trailer. My husband worked at the USG mine in Empire. I was a substitute teacher. It is a tough time right now. You may want to consider early retirement. I need work. 
I like work. My dad used to say, what's remembered lives. I maybe spent too much of my life just remembering. So let's get into what this movie is about. It follows her story after the economic collapse of this company town she's working in in rural Nevada plays a character named Fern who essentially loses everything. She loses her business. She loses her husband and then is basically living out of her van. So it kind of starts with her at that point in her life. She's working at an Amazon packing center and really trying to find what her next move is. She's at this point in her life where she is older, but not really old enough to retire yet. And she basically has this crisis of like she wants to work, but there's really nothing for her. And she's deciding what to do with her life. So what does she decide to do? She decides to pack up her van and leave and travel around the country. And I think watching this movie, it really made me feel different things about it. Because while it starts off with her coping with the loss of her husband, the loss of her job and her town and really kind of trying to find herself again. It's really a great statement on not being so tied down to possessions and this idea of being a nomad and not really having a home really comes into play and it almost makes it kind of beautiful in a way or kind of poetic to just pack up all your things live out of van and go meet these other people who are doing the same thing very minimalistic life approach and you're kind of doing enough to get by by other people's standards but when you do this in this kind of setting and you have other people around you kind of doing the same thing it feels normal and it feels more like you're kind of doing things for the enjoyment of living out life. And there were some quotes in this movie that I jotted down because they kind of hit me and resonated with me. There's this point where she's talking to this group of people who this is their whole life. That's how they base their life is living out of their vans, living out of their cars and traveling around the country, going to these meetups and these campsites. And at one point, this lady says, while talking about her life and, you know, going out and experiencing things really for the first time, she's like, I didn't want my sailboat to be in my driveway when I died. And that, just, that line kind of hit me because in life, we're always kind of worried about our security and doing things for our future. And sometimes it causes us to not really go out and live life. Sometimes we spend our times working our jobs and trying to earn enough money to, you know, be okay if something bad happened. But sometimes we never take the time to actually enjoy the things we've worked for. And it was in that moment watching that movie that it was just like, whoa, I almost saw myself wanting to just pack up my things and go explore the land. And throughout the movie, she's meeting these people who are approaching the same kind of lifestyle she is and talking the way they do about the simple things in life really kind of put a different perspective in your head. And overall, I thought the movie was really well done. It's a pretty slow movie, like it's a slow burn, but it's something you can just sit back and kind of enjoy the stylistic approach they took and just the overall storytelling in this movie. I think it's really great. And I think it's more and more when I watch movies like this that I realize why certain actors get cast into certain roles. And Frances McDormand always seems to be in really dramatic, powerful roles. And you kind of wonder, like, what makes her kind of a like an Oscar worthy actor? And I think it was watching this movie that I realized that it takes a lot to play a character like this. While it's not an over the top dramatic performance, there's just something about her personality and the way she portrays a character like this that I really don't think somebody else could do. So I think it's a great road trip movie. It's great in the fact that it tells a story that really hasn't been told like this before. You get to see some cool parts of the country and by the end of this you'll want to like I said pack up all your things and go on a really long trip to find yourself. So I would give it four out of five vans. 
And you'll probably see this movie get nominated for Best Picture. So if you're wanting to be on top of those nominees, I would say go watch this one when you can. All right, let's talk about the new movie, I Care A Lot, which is on Netflix and a movie that made me love and hate a movie at the exact same time. And I'll explain why. I think it was so infuriating that it was hard to watch, right? I would agree. And we won't ruin the movie. I think this is almost a movie you need to go in and just know that you're going to love and hate it at the same time. But no matter what, it was a very entertaining movie, right? It is. I feel like neither one of us picked up our phones during the whole thing. And I don't know what it was about it, but the overall plot about it, it's a crooked legal guardian who is essentially becoming the guardian for these elderly people draining their estates and just taking over their lives that's how she makes money so a rare movie where the main character is somebody that you don't like is the protagonist you can't stand her and then she gets involved with this woman who all we'll say is that she's not who she seems like she is they think one thing about her and they're like we're gonna drain her of all this money like an easy situation for them and you find out later that there's some whole other world going on with her and it's really in just kind of crazy right yeah so that's what we'll say about that. We just want to say our feelings about it. So I felt like at one point in the movie, you were like, I can't even watch this. Like, what was going through your mind while watching this movie? I feel like an hour in, I looked at you and I was like, I kind of hate this. Do we keep watching it? Yeah. Like, I was entertained. I couldn't stop watching, but it, the plot just makes you really mad. Yeah. And you're just not rooting for her. No, not at all. And there's like two bad people in this movie. There's a few. There's a there's few more than two. Yeah, there's just a whole bad situation. So you're going to watch this and you're going to like, at one point, just want it to end. Yeah. You want it to be over. Not that it's a bad movie. I don't. Well, at least I don't think it was a bad movie. I thought it was, yeah, like you said, really entertaining. One of the most entertaining movies I've watched all year to the point to where I was so sucked into the movie. I didn't care about anything else. I think I'm kind of having this effect now watching so many movies at home i find it's harder and harder for them to keep my attention movies that are a bit of a slower burn i find myself wandering off a little bit wanting to do something else but this one had me totally in so why didn't you like it at one point i'm trying to figure out how to word that without giving anything away is it because you just couldn't stand her character anymore yeah she just is the worst yeah and you feel bad for all these poor elderly people Made yeah. me sad, kind of. It it did make you. I think that's what got to you. It, it, it made, made you really sad, sad that they were taking advantage of these people and they were going to the court and just kind of don't give anything away. They were defrauding the system. There you go. They were just doing these things very unethical. It's a part of a whole bigger thing, but I found a lot of people felt this way. I think this is the most talked about movie I've seen in a while. Because you're going to feel some type of way about it. And you know what I say about movies that make you feel? I love them. <laughs> and I did ask you at one point, I was like, who said we were going to like this movie? And you, were, you said, the internet. The internet. <laughs> so I enjoyed it. I think it's a good movie overall. Like at the very beginning of it, I thought it was going to be spectacular. Within like the first, first like 30 minutes, it felt so unique and so different that I thought it was going to be one of my favorite movies. And then it goes from being kind of something realistic to something totally unbelievable is why I kind of got away a little bit of my ranking on it. Yeah. But what would you rank this movie overall? 3.75 out of five diamonds. Interesting. I too gave it a 3.75 out of five nursing homes. And I was right on the border of wanting to go 
Like it's it's just not it's not a four. It's not a four. It's just not. It's so close to being a four, but it's not a four for whatever reason. It's not a four. It got a little too absurd. That's what it is. It got too absurd. If it would have just held that kind of realistic approach it had in the beginning, I think it would have been a lot better. But it almost went into like a fairy tale. And I guess it's kind of supposed to be like a satire a little bit. But it got just so obscure that I wanted it to end. And it never made it to that four. But I think if you go to Netflix and you're looking for something to watch and you just want to watch something that's going to kind of trip out your mind and just be kind of a fun roller coaster. I think it's a great movie for that. So no matter what, you will be entertained. It's an entertaining movie. Yeah, it serves its purpose. So there we go. That's what we think about. I care a lot. We'll get into some movie news now. I did see Adam Sandler celebrating 25 years of Happy Gilmore, and he was out on the golf course. Okay, it's been 25 years since I've done this. Let's see what happens. Shooter McGavin, this is for you. And I'm not lying to you, that is bad. And that went pretty well. You're dead, Shooter. <laughs> I think it's just funny that Adam Sandler like, still knows the characters that made him famous and know that people still love that. And he's not cool enough to go and do that character again. I just thought that was funny. And crazy to think that that movie came out 25 years ago. Yeah, that makes me feel kind of old. It does. I think I was talking about it earlier, but I think I'm at that point to where I'm realizing how some of the things that I grew up with and were, I mean, that movie was still a little bit before my time. I think I was like four years old when that came out. But a lot of the things that we kind of grew up with in like the early 2000s are now older to kids now. Like Finding Nemo came out in 2003, but kids now were in high school were like born in the 2000s. Or like the wonder that was the Mary-Kate and Ashley movies. No one watches those anymore. The the straight to VHS. Nobody knows those anymore. So that's the kind of weird thing I guess we'll go through as we get into our 30s. Also in movie news, Jesse Plemons has been cast as the lead in the new Martin Scorsese movie called Killers of the Moon. The cast includes Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro. And it's going to be a big budget thriller for Apple Studios. And I feel like Apple is about to get a lot of new movies. And you kind of see big titles like this that once only went to Netflix. They're now kind of being chopped around a little bit more. And I think Apple kind of has that upper hand. I think if it's one thing they're going to excel in, it's probably going to be movies. Aside from the morning show, I don't think they really have the TV shows yet. Ted Lasso. That's true. They have a few TV shows, but as far as the amount of Netflix and like Amazon and Hulu have, I kind of feel like they're, they're movies. They're getting big stars there. I mean, they had Justin Timberlake. So I'm curious to see what else they come out with. I don't think there's really a lot on there worth getting an Apple Plus subscription. I think it's okay, but I don't think right now I would tell anybody you need to have Apple Plus. Not yet. Also in movie news... Joaquin Phoenix is going to be in his next movie since he's been in The Joker. I'm curious to see what he does now to kind of follow up to that. And it's from the same director as Midsummer. Do you say it Midsummer or Midsommar? I don't say either. I think <laughs> I've ever said that movie title out loud. Oh, really? I think I would say Midsummer. I kind of like saying Midsommar because that's how it's spelled. <laughs> One of the weirdest movies I've ever seen. So much so that when I was watching it, I just paused it when you walked through the room because I was like, I don't even want you to. But I knew what it was. I read the whole synopsis. I knew what happened. I know. It's very... I do that with movies that I know I'm never going to watch. I just read the plot synopsis on Wikipedia. And never watch it? Yeah. Interesting approach. with a lot of things. Um, also in movie news, China's box office is having 
a better year than before last year, like before COVID. Like right now, it's like the best it's ever been. And it's weird that they're watching movies that came out a year ago, but having them like brand new. But it kind of gives you hope that movies will go a little bit back to normal, just a little bit. Just a glimmer of hope. <laughs> just to know that somewhere they're working out, right? I think there's a little glimmer of hope there. And then finally in movie news, they're saying that Disney Plus will surpass Netflix eventually by 2026, at least in one country, which is a long time away. But when you think about how long Netflix has been around and just how much they grew during the pandemic and how much they just grow exponentially, I think just knowing that Disney will rival them at some point is a pretty big deal because they're such a new service. But I feel like some people kind of diss Disney saying they only have stuff for kids. But there hasn't been anything just for kids in a long time. We watch a lot of stuff on Disney. We do. We were watching WandaVision now. They don't really have a whole lot of the like original movie content because, I mean, they're so focused on putting things out in theaters. But I think later down the line, like I could see that happening. I mean, they're kind of my favorite right now as far as like going on there and like looking around at what they have. Like Netflix, I'll go because, I mean, they have a new movie every single week. But as far as like what I'm excited for, it's the stuff coming to Netflix. All the Marvel stuff that's going Disney over there. Plus. Coming to Disney Plus. That's <laughs> what I said. I get confused with all these streaming services. There's so many. I swear we have like every single streaming service. Yeah, it's hard to keep track of what we have and what's on what. We do have all of them. On and yeah, I just get I get frustrated. <laughs> There's just so many of them. And I know people say there should be a, a thing where you go to one and it has all your streaming services, but that's just cable. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly cable that we're going back to. We're reverting in our technologies now. Yeah, but it's like all on demand and it's new content. So I feel like it's not the same as cable. I know. That's all I have. I don't know. I'm, I'm just tired of figuring out what is where. But anyway, that is movie news. That's a review. Finally, we get to our shout out of the week. And this week it is going to our friend on Twitter, and he is at Big Impact VC, also known as Michael Biggers. And just a shout out to Michael because you tweet every single week that you're listening to the brand new episode on Monday. And I just love to see that. You've been tweeting for a while now, so I just wanted to give you a shout out. I recognize you and really everybody who's been tweeting lately saying they listen on every single Monday and all the emails we've been getting in. Be sure to hit us up there. MovieMikeD at gmail.com. I got a big announcement next week. Very big interview here on the podcast. I will be talking with Lou Diamond Phillips, who you know from La Bamba. And I was so excited to have this interview. I like hit him up a while ago because he's in a brand new movie that's already out in theaters. And I was like, I see him doing interviews. If I could get him on the podcast, it would be amazing because La Bamba has been one of my favorite movies since I was a kid. Um, he's also in the movie Stand and Deliver, which I loved. And it's really awesome that he's going to be on the podcast next week so look forward to that make sure you subscribe so you don't miss that interview thanks everybody for listening to the podcast we'll talk to you again next week and until then later Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. <laughs> People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in exactly. to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which right. is different than empathy. Yeah. Right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.